Hello everyone and welcome to the third instalment of our Stagey Place Edinburgh Fringe Specials where once again we are bringing you four fantastic companies who are bringing their shows up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year and I'm so excited to be able to say that recently I've been up at this year's festival watching a couple of shows for example Lady Dealer written by Martha Watson All Press who we had on episode one I managed to see Lady Dealer and absolutely love the performance by Alexa Davies. It was also really nice to see Jonathan Chan's lighting design and Anna Short's sound design when both Anna and Jonathan came onto the podcast to talk about the straw chair in episode 44, way back in April 2022. We also managed to see Highly Suspect UK's Murder at the Movies, which is one of two productions which Highly Suspect have on this year. We highly recommend this show also for all those who love their crime solving as you get evidence packs throughout the performance to make you guys the ones to solve the mystery. So with a few recommendations there out of the way, we're going to get straight on to episode three, where in this episode we are first joined by Alistair Hall, who is the writer and performer of Declan, which is playing at the Underbelly Cowgate from the 15th until the 27th of August. And this is a very special show because this is the show that I am officially heading up to the Edinburgh Fringe for, stage managing this production of Declan. We did a couple of previews at the Camden People's Theatre in July and now we are here at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival bringing Declan up for the Underbelly Cowgate. Hello Alistair and welcome to the Stage of Place. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me in the room today here at Bristol Old Vic where we are currently rehearsing Declan which is on at the Underbelly at this year's festival. Alistair, tell me a little bit about the history behind Declan and why you wrote the show. Right, well Declan actually started God, in 2018 and it sort of happened by accident. I was at drama school and we were doing some improv and this character sort of came out in an improvised monologue and it just, just planted a seed there that day in that moment. And then fast forward to 2020 and we were in lockdown and I first presented Declan as a digital piece of theatre. We filmed it and we put it online with the, well, it was then known as the Tristan Bates Theatre. Yeah. And it got quite a nice following. People were watching online plays during that time mm. because everyone was stuck inside. Yeah. <laughs> and it really resonated with audiences, particularly because so much of the play is about a specific type of isolation. So the play did well. And then I kind of put it to bed for a bit. And then last year, at the end of 2022, we did a first physical live run at Camden People's Theatre. Just a short run five nights and it was the first time presenting it in front of real physical audience yeah and again the show just gained like real momentum and it just seemed to really speak to audiences who really liked it and the feedback was really good so here we are to this summer we're taking it to edinburgh yeah, yeah. which is incredibly exciting mm. alistair i know it's your first time at the edinburgh fringe festival we currently know each other because we're touring Family Tree, yeah. which when this episode goes out, it's been and gone. But obviously we did visit Edinburgh in the tour. Yeah. So you managed to see a little bit of Edinburgh and what it was like. What are you most excited about for the Fringe from maybe what you've heard from friends about going to Edinburgh this year? But I've never been either as a punter or as a performer. No. There's some really strong plays going this year. It's what I've been reading about. So I'm looking forward to seeing some work. But I guess for me as a, an actor and a maker, it's the kind of thrill of not knowing how it's going to go. Yeah. Obviously some nights that's got to keep me awake. I'm not going to lie. But there's also the element of I'm excited to just have my first Edinburgh Fringe experience. Yeah. 
to be honest, it wasn't really on my radar as in I knew all about it, but I wasn't planning to go just as a self-producing solo artist. Financially, it didn't seem viable, right? But then myself and the play Declan, we got shortlisted for the Bristol Old Vic and the Pleasance National Partnership, right. which was amazing. And yeah. I got down to the final two for that. And it was something about that suddenly really like kind of gave me the first to get yeah. to Edinburgh. And then Underbelly came along and I had some great conversations with them. Yeah. And so it just felt really right to just go for it. And plus some of the feedback we'd always had about Declan was that people were asking if I was going to take it to Edinburgh. So, yeah. And obviously, we spoke about earlier on how this was a 20-minute online piece, and then you put it to yeah. bed and then got it up on its feet mm. in November 2022. Did you always know when putting it to bed that when audiences were back on its feet and we were back into theatres that you wanted to bring Declan back again for a full run? Did you always hammer away to make that 20 minutes, 45 minutes to then come and bring it to an in-person audience? No, to be honest, after the online production of it, depending on where you're at in the industry, right? I've got actors who are television actors. I've got actors who are fringe theatre actors. So the industry was sort of coming back together in different ways for different people. Yeah. So I had other stuff sort of on my plate. So I sort of really did sort of forget about Declan, to be honest. I actually went away and wrote another play, which is very different. And then it was only beginning of last year. So this is the beginning of 2022, where the director of Declan, Billy Barrett and myself, he said, what about Declan? Why don't you do something with that? Because it had it had good reviews and audiences loved it so then I thought let's give it a go and I then started to reshape it the aim with Declan if you like was that its roots are as a piece it's very inspired by the likes of Carol Churchill right these playwrights who create short sharp bursts of storytelling Declan is always meant to be like this roller coaster ride if you like so that's why it's always been under an hour but I went back and rewrote bits and started to look at it as a whole piece and I think this is the thing with any solo shows it's not always about giving it a complete rewrite yeah it's about going in and looking at which bits you can give kind of just more space or which I don't know just by finding more details and yeah so we've spoken a little bit about the history of Declan Mm. about producing it for a longer run and bringing it to the Edinburgh Fringe Mm. Festival this year let's talk about the show itself so where do we find the character at the start of the show in Declan right so it's a very sort of intimate hazy little show surreal it's set in a very rural Wiltshire town town is unnamed but it's inspired by a very real place and it's set in the late 90s through to the early noughties and we find our central character Jimbo he sort of exists on the outskirts of his the society and the community of his mm-hmm. town, he's not really very popular and he sort of keeps himself to himself. He's looking for his best mate, Declan, who's gone missing. Yeah. And he's telling the audience about their beautiful friendship and the intimacy they shared. And as he starts to reveal what happened with Declan, he then starts to sort of make discoveries about his own childhood and about the abuse that he has suffered, both from people in the town and hands much closer to him. And then it sort of goes into this sort of quite hallucinatory story. So I'm from the West Country. I'm from a town in Wiltshire. And it's very much inspired by, there's a sort of quiet eccentricity to the West Country, whether you're in like Bristol, whether you're in Somerset or whether you're in the depths of Wiltshire. I remember hearing little like folky stories when I was a kid. And so there's definitely that element of it in the play. There's a few things that happen that feel a bit sort of, yeah, a bit surreal and a bit ghostly. But that's the sort of underscore of the show. I mean, ultimately, it's been referred to as as a a queer thriller. And I'm I'm really into that. Yes, sort of it is. But, you know, it is about isolation and it's very much about the queer experience of rejection and loneliness in small rural towns, particularly back then. You know, as I said, the play is set in the 90s through to the early noughties. And in my personal experience, it was not a safe or welcoming time to be 
a young gay kid it just wasn't this summer actually they're having their first ever pride which is amazing wow. that couldn't have been less of the case for myself that's inspired the foundations for Declan if you like yeah of setting up a thriller and a bit of a horror story you like is about someone who is not welcome where he is yeah. so he does anything he can to escape yeah and for audiences watching Declan then what would you like them to take away from the show? Well, as I said, it's a thriller. So audiences have said, like, I remember one audience member said that it was so tense she forgot to breathe. And someone else said it's a masterclass in tension. And I love all of that because it is very dark. But there's a lot of heart to it and there's a lot of laughter in it. And so I hope particularly queer audiences will be able to identify with that. It's a journey from like almost from humiliation to gaining total strength. You know, I was laughed at as a kid, but now sort of I have the confidence to be able to sort of take a story or take autobiographical elements of my life and turn them into this like fantastical fictional play for people to enjoy yeah and I really hope that like queer audiences can notice that journey and, and identify with that and then for audiences who aren't queer I mean I've been told it's a great piece of storytelling and it's quite thrilling so I hope that they will kind of enjoy an unexpected character with quite a sort of slap of a story to tell <laughs> yeah and obviously you're saying that you know the town that you're from is having its first ever pride yeah. this year do you think after Edinburgh Fringe that you would maybe like to take the play back to the West Country and perform it and you know when you're talking about the fact that maybe so many years ago there would never have been a pride where you're from do you think that audiences will respond to the playing where you want them to if you were to take it to the West Country and perform it there I hope so so we're here rehearsing this in the Bristol Old Vic and I've been lucky enough to be given this space by Bristol Ferment, which is okay. the Bristol Old Vic's programme they run to support artists from the Southwest. Right. As I said, I was lucky enough to be shortlisted for the award of Bristol Ferment and the Pleasance Theatre. And part of that has been, yeah, I've been given this space to rehearse. So it feels important to me that, you know, I live in London, but so far, you know, Declan being my first play, I am using my experiences of the Southwest yes. as fuel for my work. Yeah. And I would love for it to go to either Bath or Bristol. There's a beautiful theatre in Corsham, The Pound. In my hometown, Chippenham, there isn't actually theatre. Okay. So there's a place called Neald Hall, which I think they do some events. Mm. But who knows? I mean, I would love to take it back there one day. I think Chippenham do a fringe festival. So Ooh. maybe. I did have friends from the West Country come and see it. And my family came to see Declan. Yeah. And they are the ones who laugh at, you know, the references of places. Yeah. I mean, everywhere in this play, like from Gloucester to Melksham to Trowbridge gets mentioned. So... I think people from the area always hear that and love it. The play is also written in a very specific dialect. So I perform it in the accent I used to have when I lived in the Southwest right. as a teenager. And it's written in a dialect which feels very true to that early noughties way of talking. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're from the West Country, you just know that pattern of speech so well. So, yeah, I would love for it to kind of find its audience back here one day. Yeah. yeah. Well, Alistair, thank you so much for coming on today to talk thank about you. Declan. Would you like to remind audiences where they can watch it at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival? Yes. Please come along and see us. Declan is going to be on at Underbelly, Cowgate, every day at 2.35pm from the 15th to the 27th of August. And yeah, I'd love to see you there, whether you're from the West Country or not. Well, we really hope that audiences come and join you on this journey with Jimbo and Declan yeah. at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alistair. Bye.
And there we go, that was our interview with Alistair Hall, the writer and performer of Declan, which is at the Underbelly Cowgate at 2.35 from the 15th until the 27th of August. Thank you so much, Alistair, for coming on to the Stage Place to talk about that show. We recorded that interview way back in June this year at the Bristol Old Vic in one of their rehearsal rooms. So thank you so much to Alistair and to Billy Barrett, who was in episode one talking about after the act. We interviewed both Billy and Alistair in the same day. What's also great about Declan is that if you are unable to see the production, you'll be able to read the play as it is being published by Polaroid Plays, which is a sister company to the Polaroid Press. Straight into our second interview on this instalment, I had the pleasure in chatting with Philip Stokes, who is bringing back his critically acclaimed play, Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me, which was at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2022, as well as bringing a brand new show called Lash. Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me and Lash both play at the Pleasance Courtyard. Hello, Philip, and welcome to the stagey place today. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very excited to talk with you. We are talking about two shows which you are bringing up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2023. Firstly, we have a return of your critically acclaimed show, Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me, which is at the Pleasant's Courtyard in Bunker 2. But you're also bringing a brand new show to Edinburgh, once again at Pleasant's Courtyard in Bunker 3, and this is Lash. So, Philip, we've got two shows to talk about today. How about you start us off with the return of Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me. Talk to me a little bit about why this show is returning this year to Edinburgh. Because it did really well, ultimately. Yeah. Been on quite the journey since I'm trying to work out when it starts. I think it'll be 2021 now, October. We did previews, then we got picked up by Ketchup Productions and Lawrence Batley Theatre, and then we went to Edinburgh last year, so that would have been 22, Yeah, and it did very, very well. We won the Holden Street Theatre Award, which took it to Adelaide, so it played in Australia for six weeks, and... Jack Stokes, the actor, he won Theatre Weekly's best solo performance throughout the Fringe, which was a huge thing. And with these things, accolades often come quite late within the run. So it made sense for it to return in the hope that there's an audience who may not have seen it first time. It's got a bit of a buzz. And since we did Edinburgh, we we went to Australia, like we say, and then we've done a full UK tour, which is quite astonishing from sort of humble beginnings with one-man shows you never really know, but for... Mm-hmm. Whatever reason, it's it's captured people. The tour sold really well as well. We're hoping that by returning that we, we continue where we left off and get some, you know, it'll be a different thing because you're not up for awards in the same way. It's, it's probably been reviewed by everybody. So it really yeah. is about coming to watch it and enjoy it. So what do you think it is that audiences have taken to with the story that has made it so renowned and gone on its amazing UK tour? I think a lot to do with quite universal themes. It's about a young man called Daniel Valentine. He's 18 years old. He returns back to his family home and he talks about why he's returned. And we effectively hear his life story. And I think within his story it touches on a lot of themes people can empathize with he's a very he's a very funny character the show is very funny but he's also very sympathetic you know it still amazes us because we're so used to it that you do get people coming up to the actor afterwards and hugging him and thanking him and it's i mean it is very emotional play and it's for whatever if if i knew 
then I'd, 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 I'd always have hit shows, but I don't. But it, it, it resonates with people. And I think I think the performance is superb. When he won the, the Theatre Weekly Best Solo Performance, it was absolute credit to him because he's the only person on stage for 70 minutes. And I'm sure you have sat through one-man shows and yeah. after three minutes, nothing else is going to happen here, is it? It's just going to keep going on. And because of it's how it's structured, now it's written, and his performance and the themes seems like an incredibly quick, entertaining, engaging 70 minutes that people just really respond to, which is just yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And so we must talk about Lash then as well, which is the brand new show, which is coming to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to write a play like Lash or to have it coming to Edinburgh on the back of last year's success of Jesus Jane, Mother and Me. Do you feel as a writer any pressure or is this just a show that you're just happy to get out and have audiences experience for the first time this year? It's very, very worrying okay. <laughs> because you want things to do well. And going back to the start of our conversation, if you knew why things went well, then they'd always go well. I think what I've consciously done is not try to recreate Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me in any shape or form. To talk about it, you go, it's the same actor. It is a companion piece, so the role of the father to a teenager, but the style, the setup, the genre, the vernacular of it is so far removed from Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me. I, d- I don't know if that's an inbuilt sort of get out of sort of going, well, it is different, so you might not like it as much, but equally, you know, I've written a lot of shows and I've seen writers that I've admired and then gone, you're just doing watered down versions of your last show have always sort of self-sabotaged to a degree and gone, I'm going to make something completely different. Jesus Jane is within a house and it's very naturalistic and it's very talky. Lash is set at the end of a night in a nightclub. It's completely scored by French house music. Lovely. It's written rhythmically. It's not prose. It's very, very different. It's much more political than Jesus Jane. And it talks about a youth, a young man called Sonny, who basically, and the, the, there's an element of the actor's life within this, and, and I hate to use this expression because it will put me off watching it, but it is post-COVID. It is post-Brexit. If you're 18, you were 14, 15 when all this happened. And that's a very pivotal time. You know, I know a lot of young people and I think their generation got shafted and they didn't even like myself, they couldn't even vote, they couldn't do that. And now they're at their age that they can. And I think it's looking at that generation of people who were just sort of abandoned, really. They've turned to drink and they've turned to drugs and they've turned to hedonism to give themselves a purpose. Yeah. And Lash explores this idea about a night out of a guy going, why am I living like this? And again, without giving it away, we sort of look at the connotations and we look at the role of his father within it. We can look at the youth of today and go, oh, they're this, they're that. But there's always a responsibility of a parent, be it an Mm. absent parental influence, be it the desire to impress parents or rebel against parents. So although it's very unlike Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me, I would love people to see it 
Jack in a completely different role, yeah. completely different style of theatre, but hopefully it still touches on universal themes yeah. of a young person in sort of 2023. And we must talk about Jack's performances then, both in Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me and in Lash. What is it about Jack, do you think, that has captured audiences and probably you as well, you know, you must have a say in who yeah. gets to use your scripts. So what is it about Jack, which is just so profound? Um, he's got natural ability, which I know people will, of course, he's not trained at all. So he's malleable as an actor, which yeah. sounds a terrible yeah. thing for to say, but it's a great thing. And he really lives in the moment. He, he, he's exhausted when he finishes it. When we did Jesus Jane, I always had the idea that if people didn't like the show, they would still admire the courage and the focus of his performance. And with Lash, it's much more rock and roll. It's much more in your face. Yeah. It's much more confrontational, which I think as an actor, he's going to go, the character's possibly not as likeable as Daniel is in Jesus J, Mother and Me. Cool. I'm intrigued to see what will happen. And, and what we've done, how we've set it up is that it plays at Pleasance Courtyard, Jesus Jane, at 10 to 11 in the morning. Yeah. Lash plays in the courtyard at 11 o'clock at night. So you're literally bookending the day yeah. with two shows, one about a mother, one about a father, one that's sort of a naturalistic drama, one that's much more physical, much more in your face. I think that's a really exciting prospect for anybody who likes my work to sort of go, right, I'll I'll start and end the day with these two shows yeah. and they'll buy into both of them for different reasons. And you can watch them autonomously as well. They, yeah. they don't need to have seen the other to appreciate the other. As a director and writer, it's kind of nice to have that structure to the festival, <laughs> whereas Jack will just be absolutely exhausted and probably return into his flat in between to yeah. have a siesta ready for was, his night. I was just about to say that. Jack's going to have to have a lot of afternoon naps and everything, because if he's finishing, looking at the press release, if he's finishing at 10 to midnight, as it says in the press release, and then coming back again like 10 hours later to Pleasant's Courtyard... Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a long month for him, but I'm sure that he's fully aware of that. He's aware, and he's, and he's 19, and he's yeah. got bags of budget, and he's doing what he's loving doing. And as as he's aware, there's there's thousands of actors around the world who yes. would give their right arm to do half of what he's currently doing. So he really embraces it and, and enjoys it. And, yeah. you know, as we always say, you're not going to war. You're getting up there, you're performing, you're giving everything, and then you can sit afterwards and have a drink and something to eat and, <laughs> and just bask in the uh, ambience of what is an incredible festival at the Edinburgh yeah. Fringe Festival. Philip, for you then, have you got any show recommendations that you've seen so far that you are looking forward to at the Edinburgh Fringe? I put my first show on Edinburgh in 2006. I've done a lot of shows and what I learned is that I used to sort of go with a brochure and go, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Now I'm there quite a lot. I tend to sort of see what the word on the street is for certain yeah. things and then go, I'm going to do that. Theatre is a, sometimes a bit of a busman's holiday for me. I, I can get drawn to watching sort of circus stuff. And when you hear about a great show, you're kind of like, I need to go see this. There's a few returners. There's certain, I always go see people like Camilo Sullivan and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, 
brilliant singer. I think I've watched her every single time I've been up there. So just play it by ear, really. I'm normally up for sort of like the first week or so before I leave the show to get the show set yeah. up and then see what happens and then sometimes return at the end and just you, you, by that point, you know, it's one of those things where people go, oh, reviews this, reviews, they don't really mean anything. It's all about the art, blah, blah, blah. For those of us who make theatre, it helps sell seats yeah. and publicity work. So you see what might win the fringe first the first week and go, okay, let's see why you've won that. And yeah. in the same way that we've picked up awards for Jesus Jane and other shows we've done. And, you know, people come back because you wonder why I'd certainly want to see Jesus Jane. Cause I'd, if I was an actor, I'd want to know why this kid has won best solo performance at yes. the, the fringe that even out of spite, if I was an actor, I'd go watch it just, yeah. just to find out it's one of those. Well, Philip, thank you so much today for coming onto the stage place to talk about your two shows at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Once again, we have Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me at the Pleasance Courtyard in Bunker 2 from the 2nd until the 28th of August. And then we have Lash, which is again at the Pleasance Courtyard in Bunker 3 from the 2nd until the 27th of August. Philip, thank you so much for joining me this morning here on the stage place. It's been lovely. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much there once again to Philip Stokes, who was on talking about Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me and Lash, two plays currently playing at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in the Pleasance Courtyard. If you'd like to book for Jesus, Jane, Mother and Me, Lash or any of the other shows that you have heard from today's episode, you'll be able to book your tickets via the episode link wherever you are streaming this instalment. Okay, so now we are over halfway of today's instalment and we're going to get straight on to our third interview with Brickerback Theatre, specifically Anna, the director of Glass Ceiling Beneath the Stars, which brings live streaming to the Pleasance Courtyard this August. Hello, Anna, and welcome to the Stage of Place. How are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. I love chatting about Edinburgh Fringe and the productions that are going up to Edinburgh. And Anna, you are bringing up Glass Ceiling Beneath the Stars, which is yes. at Pleasance this year. Tell us a little bit about the show. So we're going up with Pleasance as a national partner. We're very excited. We're a cast of five women and we're looking at NASA mission STS-47 a mission of firsts with the first African-American woman going to space and the first married woman who went to space with her husband. They secretly got married a couple of months before their mission, so NASA couldn't kick them off. Uh -huh. And then when they got back to Earth, all anyone cared about was whether or not they'd had sex. So we're looking at that and we're looking at kind of people's fascination with sex lives, kind of undermining achievements of women. Um, we're doing it with live cameras. It's it's a lot of stuff and it's really exciting. So there's a lot of multi-sensory, a lot of technology going on in the show. How would you like audiences to react to the show in Edinburgh? I want them to come out saying, I've never seen anything like that before. I think it's really rich for the senses. We're making a film live on stage. So it's shot by shot with these three cameras. We're trying to really get into their emotions, lots of close-ups, lots of fun stuff of how to do zero gravity, but also kind of contextualising that with the political message we're interested in. The shows we make as a company, Bric-a-Brac, we're Lecoq-trained, we're very ensemble-based. We're trying to find the humour mixed with the serious. Again, it's a lot going on, but I think audiences will come out going, I've never seen anything like that and I want to talk about it. Yeah, and what do you think it is so important about the story that you think needs to be told, especially in Edinburgh, in a fringe festival society? Obviously, you've got a lot of international visitors who come to the fringe as well. That might 
that'd be really important maybe for Americans listening to this story, maybe if they don't know about it. Is that kind of why you think it's so important to tell a story like this? I think it's it's a kind of a, a tale of two sides in that it's really exciting to watch for people that are interested in space and movies about space and that exciting element of into space travel and what we believe that to be and what the reality of that is. It always feels so expansive. And when you watch Interstellar, it's huge. But actually for humans going into space, they describe it as claustrophobic and they're trapped all the time and it's all in minuscule spaces. So we're looking at the reality of that and trying to let audiences understand that feeling. But the political side of it and kind of why now, I think there's a conversation happening about women being overlooked, about black women being overlooked and our attitude towards these people. And I think looking as a group of women, we are interested in how can we be seen for our achievements as opposed to how everyone else sees us? Why can't we just be good at our jobs? Why does this extra layer have to happen? And I think that's the same thing with Jan and May. May didn't want to be the poster girl for young black girls going to space. She just wanted to do her job. And the same for Jan. She didn't want to be remembered as the wife that went to space. She just wanted to do her job. We're looking a little bit into that and kind of social context from the 60s to 2012. Yeah. And obviously you said before we started this recording that you've had a bit of a dance rehearsal today. So tell us exactly what we can expect from the show in itself. (laughs) (laughs) You can expect to watch a film, an emotional film. You can expect to see dance, lights, movement, really emotional drama. And come out at the end of it questioning what you feel about space travel. Okay, perfect. So Anna, do you want to talk about the rest of the team that are behind the show? Big those guys up on this podcast. Really? Um, We've got an incredible creative team. We feel very lucky to have them. So we have um, Associate Director Ellie Manners. We have a sound designer, Ellie Isherwood, who is currently Associate on Winston Went to War with the wireless at the Donmar. Our video designers, Max Spielbeekler, who's just done Best of Enemies on the West End. He's coming up with such intricate, beautiful work. Our designer is Hugo Aguirre, who's currently assistant on Still Life. It's the dream team. Um, Grace Dixon producing. It's honestly, it's a team of brilliant creatives who are leveling us up. So although it's a fringe show, I think expect really good production values, supported by this brilliant cast of five women who are bringing it all together on stage. That is fantastic. And Anna, tell us a little bit about what you are most excited for coming up to Edinburgh. Are there any shows on your radar that you are looking forward to seeing? Yes, we're excited. This is our first show since COVID going up to Edinburgh. So it's scary. It's exciting. It's the most ambitious show we're taking to date. And you feel you feel a little bit like you're putting everything on the line. Yeah. So we're we're focusing in the room on looking after each other and just putting it into perspective and going, no, let's just focus on the story we want to tell instead of what we need from Edinburgh. But we're excited to be up there, excited to talk to other artists. It feels like we've been separate for so long. Shows that we're looking forward to see, Public for Musical, the Charlie Hartle winners. They've got a great team and it sounds brilliant. And there's another show, I think it's called Butchered. Butchered looks very, very cool. And also Lady Dealer at the Roundabout. It's yeah. got a great team. Our dramaturg Lizzie Manwaring is doing that show as well, but it just looks like a really interesting solo show. And we're excited. Get us up there. <laughs> yeah. Apart from shows, what is it that you're most excited for about going to the French? Again, just being around other artists and feeling that buzz. I think I think it's a tricky time at the moment. We're all, you know, we're looking on Twitter, seeing how difficult it is. And actually, it would just be nice to come together as a community of young artists yeah. to talk about what can change, what is happening, and be really truthful about situations we're in. It's hard as a company to get up there right now. Yeah. And although we're having the most joyous time in the room, 
I'd be lying if I said it's been the easiest route to get there. So we feel really lucky and really privileged, but it would be nice to have these conversations with artists of what can we change and what can we look at that can make this a fairer industry for everybody without being preachy. We have not got the answers, but I think it's good to chat about. Absolutely. Year after year when you go up, you know, there's always so much that happens, not just around the Fringe, but around Edinburgh as well. Like, you know, last year we had the bin strikes for the final week of the Fringe. Yeah. You know, you just don't know what it's going to be like. And I mean, this year they've brought back the app, which is amazing because I was up last year and it and it was a struggle. People yeah. don't know what's on 10 minutes from where you are. And it's that having that destination, that location point of going, you could go and see this in five minutes. You know, yeah. that was wasted last year. Um, yeah. But it's, it's a joy that it's back again. But, you know, it, it never should have gone away, really. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no. Agreed. <laughs> Um, well Anna thank you so much for coming on to talk about glass ceiling beneath the stars Pleasant's Dome in the Queen Dome from 2pm every single day from the 2nd until the 27th of August Anna thank you so much for joining me thank you thanks so much and there we go that was Anna director of glass ceiling beneath the stars which is being presented by Brickerback Theatre at the Pleasant's Courtyard this year We're going to move on to our last interview of today's episode, one that I've been really excited to share with you. And that is with Brooke Tate, who is bringing their gig theatre style play, Birthmarked, to the Assembly Rooms Ballroom. Now, if you're wondering where you've heard of Birthmarked before, that's because we had the director, Sally Cookson, on our podcast very recently. And now we have Brooke on today's episode. So I'm really excited to share this interview with Brooke Tate. Hello, Brooke, and welcome to The Stage Place. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Elliot. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you were just saying before this recording that you went up last year just for prep to see kind of what Edinburgh was like. How do you think your Edinburgh is going to be like this year? Yeah, last year was the first time I went to Glastonbury and the first time I went to Edinburgh Fringe. So my summer was quite intense. But I was just amazed. A couple of things like blew my mind were Edinburgh in first place is just beautiful. So I know that it's just going to be a gorgeous place to be for a month. The sheer amount of shows, I just couldn't understand. I was like, how are there this many shows on? So that sort of blew my mind. And then also I saw such a, like, a wide variety of shows and some of the like most beautiful things were these tiny, tiny little like gems in a library or like in these tiny little like university rooms and stuff. So we could meet anyone while we're up there. And yes. I'm kind of just thinking more about like what we can experience as opposed to like focusing too much on the stress of like, we've got to make sure we're doing really well and we've got to make sure this is good and this is right. And it's like, oh, actually, it's still somewhere that we can experience so much stuff. Like that's what's exciting. Yeah, it is really exciting. Well, Brooke, we must say that you are coming up to the Edinburgh Fringe with Birthmarked, which is part of the Horizon Showcase. Tell me a little bit about Mm. the idea of Birthmarked, where it came from and how you've managed to make it into a show. I keep saying in in interviews and stuff that Birthmark just kind of happened and as cheesy and like artsy and wanky that sounds. I had written all these songs over the last like seven years and I was performing them with my band and was doing gigs around Bristol and we had a lot of fun with doing gigs and no one really knew the story behind the songs that I had written. It was just like a normal music gig really and I was just sort of like jazzy soul folk stuff and but part of me was like I kind of don't want to record these songs in this way and release them in this way but they were so like precious to me but because each one had had like a connection to a certain family member in my life and quite complicated situations with regards my childhood and my 
early adult years as a Jehovah's Witness, whilst writing them, going through a, a process that meant that I was no longer allowed to speak to my family and I wasn't allowed to see my siblings anymore and losing so many things. And then also having to adjust to a new worldview with regards to my faith in God, my place in the world, because I thought it was going to be destroyed, Armageddon. I, mean, I was trying to like grapple with so many thoughts and things like this and songwriting, so much was going in my head and these tiny little like bursts of like understanding or processing would come out in these tiny little poems or something I'd come up with on my bike or while at work and, and then I'd try and like write them in a song. So I had all of this stuff behind the songs. So to try and like release them and just think about streams, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like the right way to do it. But it was also terrifying to think about talking about it publicly because another side of what I was going through was when you leave the religion of Jehovah's Witnesses, or even when you're in it, to talk negatively or to expose kind of what's going on, you can get in so much trouble. Okay. And you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot even further because the people that you love and the people that you care about that are still in the religion, they will see it very badly that you're talking about it publicly. So I battled with that for so long and I didn't speak about it. But then a few years ago, the situation got a lot more intense and I kind of just saw the last connections and threads of my family that were already under strain break and for the first time for a long time I've been feeling very sad about it but for the first time I felt angry I felt yeah. so angry and I was in the bathroom one day and I started singing this new song and I felt my body like I had all of this energy and tension in my biceps and in my legs and in my my whole body was like reacting and I was like good like I never felt that sort of energy and I was singing obviously in the shower and I was like I've got to do something and I had this poem and I was like I've got to just tell the story now I've just all I can do is tell the story and then the decision was like Okay, I'm going to tell the story. And then I said to my band, and I'd written out a list what songs could go into an album about the religion and what songs could go into an album about sexuality. And above the one above religion, I wrote birthmarked question mark as though like a title of the album. And I was like, okay, well, it's going to be an album and I'm going to talk about it. And then I said to my drummer in the band, I was like, Eva, can you pretend to be a whale in the gig? And we're just going to have a conversation. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, we're just, let's just have a chat on stage and we'll bounce back and forth. And our energies are so different. She's so calm and like reserved and I'm very like extroverted and we did it at a friend's festival in a farm barn we didn't know what was going to happen and it just exploded it just sort of yeah. went it was so magical and then a couple of months later we got a commission with the wardrobe ensemble which is where Hannah Smith my producers now that's where we met and then Sally Cookson was in the audience and then she came up to the end of the show she just held my hand she was like Brooke I've got to shoot off but we're going to take this around the world and I was like oh my god what's happening the next week I met up with her in a cafe just in Bristol and she was like what are you doing what's your plans with the show I was like I literally don't have any plans with the show I'm just sort of like doing it yeah. And then she was like, do you want me to help? And I was like, yes, please. And then the next week we had agreement with the National Theatre and we were like getting support from the National Theatre. Mm -hmm. And then the Bristol Old Vic said that we could do it on the main stage for eight nights as part of Mayfest. And then we found out in January that we're part of Horizon and we're doing Fringe. And it's been hard to like keep up. Well, do you know what? There's just something there that you pointed out. Like at the beginning, you were saying about like streams on like Spotify and stuff. You care mm. so much about streams. But the thing is, is that when people listen to music, you might want to like look online on like social media or whatever about like how people are listening to these songs whereas when you put mm -hmm. them into a show and you add dialogue to it and you're able to see people afterwards especially in Edinburgh like you know you'll be able yeah. to meet audience members you'll really get to understand how they feel about the mm. show as well and obviously it feels like it's a very personal show 
what you went through in your childhood and your early adult years like mm. there's so much about it that when you get to Edinburgh you'll be able to react and talk to audience members if that's something that you like to do you know post-show obviously you've yeah. done a few shows at the Bristol Big like say at Mayfest and you did some this year as well were there any audience reactions that like really spoke to you after the show that is going to be one of the difficult things at Edinburgh and because I literally will talk as I've already made clear I will talk for England and yes. I would just like get so excited by things I like, have to be careful with my speaking after the show because that's when probably I'll lose my voice but the reactions I've had from audiences have been absolutely incredible like I I thought I was telling quite a niche story and I was mm. thinking for a while I was like is anyone going to really get this is anyone going to connect with this I've had loads of extra Jehovah's Witnesses turned up last year and they, the more they're hearing about it they're coming people that I haven't seen in years are coming and we're kind of reuniting just last week I had someone come who was sat quite close to the front and they they were like dancing they were so into the show and then afterwards they came up and they were like Brooke I've literally just seen my life on stage I was like what do you mean she was like I grew up a Jehovah's Witness I'm gay I got disfellowshipped like 10 years ago and I don't know any other Jehovah's Witnesses this is so amazing and they're a theatre director a queer theatre director and worked with Sally and I was just like how have we never met and the reason we haven't met is because we're not allowed to talk about it we're discouraged from talking about it so that's been amazing people that have grown up in other religious sects and cults and yeah groups that I didn't even know about or wouldn't have assumed would be like have similarities to this they've come and they've been like I've never seen anything that's resonated with me in this way before so it's kind of like wow and it's obvious it's like of course there's going to be so many other people in similar situations because when you're queer or even if you're not queer and you grow up in a religion you're going to have quite a unique specific life experience so then to see something like that that's talking about it it is going to really chime with them so it's been amazing <laughs> yeah and obviously you said there in that answer that there are still parts of this show that are quite sad and quite current and you know can be quite there in the forefront obviously you're performing this throughout the whole month in Edinburgh are you able to de-associate yourself when you are on stage doing birthmarked every single night and then you know come off stage and process what that performance has been like but also take yourself away and enjoy Edinburgh like how do you look after yourself when you are doing this show or how do you think you're going to be able to look after yourself doing it every night in Edinburgh well last year we did it I had a therapist with us and she was part of the team. I didn't really appreciate the value and the benefits of being able to talk to her until we were doing the show. Or I experienced a lot of like, oh, wow, that's a shift. Oh, that's a shift. I'm doing it to this extent. But the actual act of doing the show, there's a few things that I've noticed help me. And that is just focusing and remembering on the fact that it's just me and my mates doing a gig, which is so fun and so chill within the show as well like if it was just a show where I spoke about how sad it was and how sad everything is then it wouldn't be a show that I could do it wouldn't be a show that I would want to do either but Deborah the Zebra and that whole transformation and that whole journey and where we end up it's so celebratory for not just me but for everyone it's really exciting to do the show it's yeah. really exciting and it's so joyous and it lifts me as well like I feel a real change when I become Deborah the Zebra and when I first became Deborah the Zebra on the stage and I saw pictures and videos I'm like who is that who is that who is that creature I literally I'd see I'm like wow that's not me but then it's sort of like seeped into it. it's like oh yeah it's just all the the parts of me that I kind of 
toned down when I'm not as a zebra and now I'm learning to like feed it in but the downside of Deborah the zebra is that sometimes she stops me from going to sleep because I my energy is like really high energy so then I've learned a few techniques with regards to getting out of costumes so like taking Mm. my costume off in front of the mirror so I can see myself coming back and taking my makeup off in front of the mirror and speaking to myself in the mirror afterwards and be like yeah Brooke calm down now you're not Deborah the zebra anymore like because otherwise I, I used to get home just get in the shower and then come out and try and lay down and go to sleep it's like well that's not gonna happen is it it's not, yeah. you're not gonna turn up <laughs> so there's all these different things that surround the show for me that help me through it and I suppose at Fringe just like hanging out meeting people walking around seeing other shows remembering that becoming a zebra is not the only thing in the world that I do <laughs> like yeah. I, there's so many other parts and painting like me and Tom and Eva right. we like painting and gonna take a little sketchbook and things like that but I'm saying all this now who knows what's gonna happen yeah. I, I don't know what's gonna happen I definitely say that taking a sketchbook and doing some drawing and painting is definitely worth it because Edinburgh like you say you know you went last year it's just beautiful and there's yeah. scenic so you'll really enjoy painting you know if the weather is nice and yes you'll love it yes yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so this is birthmarked which is at the assembly rooms in the ballroom space from 7 15 until 8 45 so for listeners that is a whole 90 minutes one hour and a half because i know that a lot of edinburgh is usually an hour but you've got the hour and a half slot so do make sure when you're booking your tickets that you are aware of that it's from the 3rd until the 27th of august brooke thank you so much for coming onto the stagey place for talking about birthmarks like i say i've got my ticket after talking with you today i'm even more excited to come and see birthmarks i'm coming about the mid point in August and I'm so excited thank you so much for coming on today oh thank you Elliot it's been really nice chatting thanks and see you up there I'll see you up there and there we go that was our final interview of today's third installment of the stagey place Edinburgh Fringe specials with Brooke Tate the writer and performer with the whole of his band of Birthmarked which is at the assembly rooms ballroom this August So that brings us to the end of this third instalment, the penultimate instalment of these Edinburgh Fringe specials. I'd love to thank all of today's guests, Alistair, Philip, Anna and Brooke for coming on to the stagey place to talk about their shows at the Edinburgh Fringe this year and to you guys, the listeners, for tuning in to this instalment. Once again, if you'd like to book for any of the shows that you've heard about in today's episode, you'll be able to do so via the ticket link in our episode bio wherever you are streaming this instalment. So until next time, I hope you're following us on social media as we have many Instagram takeovers happening at the moment at The Stagey Place. Plus on TikTok, we've been going live on the mile to ask questions to those companies who have brought shows up to the Edinburgh Fringe. So until next Sunday, when we release the final episode of our Stagey Place Edinburgh Fringe specials, I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye.